Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 42. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Matt's back on the sticks and on the line. We've got the man who saved my bum life from having another losing night at UFC 268. It's Cody Saftik, hitter of 13 of 14 plays, multiple legs of the parlays. Save me from having quite a quite a devastating loss. I mean, Gaethje versus Chandler. How did how did that not end? Um, there were a lot of things that were, you know, I was like, oh, why would you even bet the, uh, you know, Gaethje money line? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it that was the iteration that came through where somehow nobody dies. Insane, insane. But Cody, your parlays made me have quite a good night. I mean, when you have Chris Curtis, the action man, in line four of the parlays, all of the haters, not really, there's not too many haters, but all of the people are going, oh my God, a plus 275 in line four saved a lot of people's bum lives this past Saturday. So thank you. Well, Paul, you know, a lot of people always say, Jesus, all you guys do is take the favorites and you take big favorites and you try to parlay them together. The game plan is the same every event. Try to sniff out the apple pie shitter. And generally, we try to sniff them out and we move them lower on the parlay so that if they do shit in the apple pie, it doesn't affect too much. In this case, we were right on him. It was Phil Haas. Phil Haas was a bigger favorite than Kamaru Usman. Phil Haas was a bigger favorite than Justin Gaethje. Phil Haas was a bigger favorite than Pereira or Jacoby. Ah, no, Jacoby was a bigger favorite. All the same, he was amongst the biggest favorites of the week. So to be able to sniff him out and to actually fade him, go the other way, Chris Curtis added just a crazy amount of value. So yeah, we hit 100 to 1. That's that's perfect. We're looking to hit these all the time. Unfortunately, it's very difficult. And you go from an awesome UFC 268, world-class competitors, top to bottom, to now talking about Felicia Spencer versus Leah Letson as a main card fight on this free offering. So we get back to it. But I do say myself, a weatherman, and a 300 average ball hitter. Uh, only guys that can get it right a third of the time and still come out profitable. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're happy when we hit the hundreds to one. That gives us a little bit of leeway. Goal is to hit again, but at least we got a little bit of mind. And if Ally Aquinta, I mean, it wasn't even close, uh, but if Ally Aquinta had one, you know, people should be counting their lucky stars right now. Cause I don't know if Cody would be on the line right now. I, I, I may have called in sick cause I'd be off on a yacht somewhere. Like, but that was like a three thousand to one parlay if if Al had hit. Like it was it was absurd the amount of money that would have been won. Um, so may, the fight goes the distance. We, will, we all would have lost our sport, we all would have lost our sports book accounts because they're just like <laughs> I am not taking this kind of damage from these guys. So maybe a blessing in disguise. I'm half kidding. I mean, yeah. I mean, the amount of money that would have been won. It would have sent ripple effects through the the gambling community, I imagine. Like, yeah, but you know what? That like was the most absurd bounces. parlay to hit ever with like Chris yeah, Cur- yeah. Chris Curtis two seventy plus two seventy five in line four, plus all of those other ones. Yeah, that 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 full PRP was insane odds. I don't know what it was off the top of my head, but it would have been absurd the amount of money that was won. <clears throat> Yeah, but I always say I never complain about one single person, no. a bad bounce here or there, because in the grand scheme of things, we got the bounces that we needed, right? Ally Kenta at the end of the day, ended up being insignificant. I will admit, though, thank you for bringing this up. Don't fucking message me. Don't hit me up on Twitter. 
blaming ally Quinto for some misfortune that you had. I don't care. I don't care. It's not his fault. Okay. The fight no. to go the distance was minus 270. Everyone thought it was going the distance. He got caught, right? Don't tag him in post no. saying he cost you a bunch of money, right? None of that's cool. And don't fucking hit me up and be like, I can't believe you didn't pick Bobby Green. <laughs> Fuck off, man. So we got 12 of 13, right? And we're happy. It's 13 of 14. So- yeah, let me so let I, me just was, pull up the old trusty calculator here. Thirteen I, divided yeah. by fourteen is ninety-two point eight five seven percent. If you're not happy with ninety-two point eight five seven percent, I don't know what to tell you. And yeah, tagging fighters after you lost, it's like, do you think they don't feel bad? Did you, right. Like, Nobody feels sure worse. He wanted fighter. to go out there, get a knockout, get a of the night bonus. And then, you know, he's got tons of money, but like losing means you get half of your pay, no bonus, obviously, because you lost, um, unless it's fight of the night, but obviously it wasn't fight. Don't ever tag fighters. One, they shouldn't have to care about your bets. Two, they, I assure you, they don't care about your bets and you just come off looking like a jerk. Well, the same thing goes for Phil Hawes, right? Anybody knows... I have a strong dislike for Phil Haas. You know better than anybody. Why do I dislike him so much? Don't know. But I do not like Phil Haas. Uh, someone pointed out his Instagram. Like, what? Lay off. Lost a fuck. You cost me money. He didn't cost you shit, right? <laughs> Should have listened to Dogger Fast and you could have avoided it. So hopefully we can sniff out the pie shit this week, buddy. All right. We got Max Holloway taking on Yair Rodriguez in the main event of UFC Vegas 42. Yair Rodriguez is a minus 720 favorite. Or sorry. Max Holloway is a minus 720 favorite. Yair Rodriguez can be had for plus 500 at DraftKings Sportsbook. All of the lines that I will mention over the course of this episode are from DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, I mean, Max Holloway throws volume at a rate that is pretty much unparalleled in the UFC. His durability is on a different level. You kind of have to be able to mix in the wrestling to really have a chance against him because he just piles it on, piles it on. And as the fight goes on and his opponent slows down, he just keeps piling it on. Throw, like what against Qatar, he had like 400 strikes like landed in that fight. Like just absurd. So it's hard to like, is Yair Rodriguez going to knock out Max Holloway? Probably not. Can he keep the pace with Max Holloway? Probably not. Do I really want to bet? Minus 720? Not really. So I, I almost feel like I'm just priced out of it. I think Max Holloway's going to win. I think he wins on volume. Uh, the over-under, 3.5. It's starting to move. Uh, minus 175 to the over 3.5. It's like... If he lands 250 shots by round 3, like maybe he gets him out of there before that. So I feel like this whole fight is is pretty pretty priced accurately. I mean, do you really are you giving much uh, much of a shot to Yair in this spot? Like, I mean, at minus seven twenty, it's it's almost kind of dogger pass, and it's straight up pass for me. But Max Holloway's the pick. I think he I think he wins probably in like rounds four and five. Maybe he gets him out of there, but I wouldn't be shocked for it to go to decision either. Just a tough one to cap in general. They probably got it right. What what's your take here? Yeah, how often do you see on a UFC card? I mean, Bellator, you see it all the time. How often on a UFC card do you see a 7-1 to one favorite on the card? Like, very, very few and far between, right? Matchmaking usually doesn't lead to a matchup like that. And then especially in a main event, it's a 7-1. to one. So, 
yeah, pretty crazy. I don't know who's got bigger balls. Yeah, Rodriguez for accepting this fight with Max Holloway or Dana White for trusting Yair Rodriguez to show up to this fight with Max Holloway. <laughs> because if it falls off, you got Ben Rothwell versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima <laughs> as a main event. And your co-main event is now Felicia Spencer versus Leah Letson. Like, like he already dodged out of this fight once. He mm-hmm. has not fought in two years. He's got a spotty reputation for being reliable. Like, <laughs> it could go sour really fast. I agree with you, though. How do you bet against Max Holloway? Listen, I made that mistake when I uh, went and took Calvin Cater over him last time out. You know, the narrative there is if you look at Holloway, yeah, world-class operator, fights the best guys in the world, but he took an absolutely life-changing beating against Dustin Poirier. Both Volkanovski fights, lots of damage. There's lots of damage that this guy sustains. And I don't know. Maybe I just kind of bought into my own narrative that Max Holloway was getting a little bit long in the tooth. When you're fighting the best guys in the world all the time and now you're starting to come up short, how do you get motivated for a fight with Calvin Cater? And by the way, Calvin Cater is as crisp as they come. He's still ranked like fifth in the division, but his technical boxing is amongst the best in the UFC. So if this is going to be a strictly stand-up battle between him and Max Holloway, why couldn't he be in it? But there's an episode of Futurama. I think everybody on the cast gets like 100 bucks or something. Fry decides to use his $100 on buying 100 $1 vending machine coffees. And on cup number 100, he hits like this like God mode where everything around him just freezes. And only he's moving in super speed. And everybody else is just like moving at 1%. That's what Max Holloway hit against Calvert Cater. Like yeah. the fight metric numbers would tell you that he landed 445 significant strikes. I don't know what the record is. I would assume I've not that's really the seen record. too many guys land. No, 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 that's the record. But what was the record previously? I think, it was, I think it was him versus Ortega. It doesn't With, exist. Well, him versus, certainly doesn't exist. Him ver, I think his previous record was him versus Ortega, where he landed 290 strikes. Yeah, so it's like the guy's in his own league. And then when it's like, well, man, I mean, he's lost a few fights. It's like, oh, okay, well, so he's lost to Alexander Volkanovsky, who's, I think, can we all agree he's the greatest 145-pound champ of all time? Or like Volkanovsky way. thrashes McGregor at his best, and Volkanovsky's proven that he's just the best. He really is. So losing him twice, not a big deal. When you consider how close the second fight was, a lot of people were screaming robbery. A lot of people thought Max won. Great performance, especially the first 10 minutes. Uh, the fight with Dustin Poirier. Poirier fights a weight class up. And is a champion, is is a world-class operator, one of the best guys. So when he doesn't fight them, he has an ungodly performance against uh, Brian Ortega. Uh, He just looked, wow, he looked really good against Frankie, but coasted a little bit against Frankie. Still a good performance. And then looks godly against Calvin Cater. So, yeah, how how could you possibly bet against him? Now at 7-1, there's no more meat on the bone. So you're right. Does he take him out? Does this thing go the distance? When you land that many strikes, I have to assume Yair is going to topple over at some point. And so I think Max Holloway does get the job done inside the distance. But I kind of look at the over three and a half. You know, it's about minus 130, minus 140. Minus 175. Oh, is it? Did it jump? Oh, around. People have been betting it, man. People have been betting it. Okay, well, there you go. One thing with Frankie um, yeah. is how do you hit a guy that There's many minus times? Minus 155s <laughs> out there at some other shops. Yeah, there you go. Well, shop around, and I just think it probably gets to those mid-stage rounds. Yeah, Rodriguez has got he, – he's Mexican, so let's give it to him. He's got some bred into him durability that he's going to have. He has fought longer to some rounds before. And with Max Holloway, I mean, yeah, when you're hitting a guy that many times and he's not going down, it's not necessarily you don't got much pop. It's that you're one of these, I'm going to beat your ass for three and a half, four rounds before I eventually take you out. So mm-hmm. uh, the official picks, obviously, Max. I think the lean would be Max inside the distance, not by submission, would be by TKO. And then I, I think this thing's getting over three and a half. That seems, yeah, right in line kind of with, with what with what I think about it. All right, moving on down the car, we got 
Uh, big Ben Rothwell taking on Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Minus 150, Big Ben. Plus 130, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. All right, Cody. We got a couple a couple little things here. I see some people out there betting Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Because, yeah, when you watch tape on these two guys, there is... It's a, there's a massive speed disparity. Big Ben is slow and plodding, and sometimes he kind of takes rounds off, and he moves forward really, really. Yeah, he's just he's very, very deliberate in his approach. It isn't pretty. and uh, But the fact of the matter is, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, he's a quitter. When things go south for this guy, when they go south, they go south real fast. And he'll look for a way out. So maybe this fight is a better fight to bet live. Big Ben, super, super durable. Probably loses the battle of speed. Eats a bunch of body kicks. Eats a bunch of strikes early on. Um, His wrestling isn't great. I think he's got a much better submission game when he does get it to the mat than Marcos Rogerio de Lima. But uh, the last thing I'll actually kind of say to you here, Cody, is ever since UFC Fight Night 74 in 2015, Nikita Krylov, or or, sorry, I guess actually we'll go back to UFC Fight Night 58 versus Igor Prokryich. He won that fight, takes on Krylov, loses, takes on Clint Hester, wins. Takes on Gadzimurad Antigulov. Guillotine choke, loss in the first round. Takes on Jeremy Kimball. Wins that one. Comes back with a loss by Von Von Fluchoke to Ovin St. Prue. Adam Wicherak, win. Stefan Struve, loss. Ben Sassoli, win. Uh, Alexander Romanov, loss. Maurice Green, win. Ben Rothwell, loss. That's what's going to happen. I mean, obviously, that doesn't completely fall into play, but the guy has been switching wins and losses since 2014. Um, and frankly, what? Maurice Green, I don't know if he still has a job with the promotion. Ben Sisoli definitely doesn't have a, a job with the promotion, just got out of prison. Uh, Adam Wicherick, he's definitely gone. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he conked out pretty quick. He conked out pretty quick. Uh, Jeremy Kimball doesn't have a job. Clint Hester doesn't have a job. Igor Prokryash, he doesn't have a win over anybody with a job on the roster. Ben Rothwell may have a bad round here. He's going to get the job done. I think he wins by submission round two. I Actually, there was a, there was a book out there hanging round two submission. Ben Rothwell, 13 to one. I, I threw a little... A little flyer on it because that's how I feel like this fight goes. I think Delima is going to look good early. People are going to talk themselves into this. Oh, this was the value side. It's just like no, because this is what Marcos Rogério Delima always does. He'll come out looking all right, and then he fades away. I think Ben Ben Rothwell, as this fight goes on, wears him down, and and probably closes out the show. So Ben Rothwell is the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I think a lot of the time when you bet somebody, you can 100% bet somebody and admit they're going to lose the early going. And then two good examples of that from last week was Marlon Vera, right? You could have got him as an underdog after the first round. Everybody knows Marlon Vera loses the first round. And people were hitting me up and like, you got lucky, dude. He looked like shit in the first round. Well, that was part of the plan. And Chris Curtis is the same thing. I got a couple of people like, dude, he looked like shit early. It's like, well, did you not listen to the preview? Like, he's a slow starter. So 
it's baked into being part of the plan. And against Delima, yeah, losing the first two, three minutes is not inconceivable because, yeah, he's just going to get tired the longer this thing goes. You want to talk about odd numbers? Let's talk about this odd number. Clint Hester, 205 pounds. Antigulov, 206 pounds. Jeremy Kimball, 209.6. Alvin St. Preux, 210. Adam Wazorek, 253. Stefan Struve, 255. Ben Sassoli, 257. Alexander Romanov, uh, 258. Maurice Green, 264 and a half. <laughs> the fucking guy is big shit popping. You're going to have to write a time code so I can edit that out. He's just getting bigger and bigger, Paul. The guy was a 205er. He was a big 205er, but he was never ripped up. He was never super muscular, right? And then all of a sudden, he just would botch weights to 205. So he's a heavyweight. And all of a sudden, he's a... 265 pound plus heavyweight none of it is good for his endurance in which he's never had now one thing he's had is this big old you know hands man he lands them things on you you are in a world of trouble good thing for ben rothwell he hasn't been finished he hasn't been finished in total uh like in since 2013 i believe well since 2009 isn't it since he fought kane velasquez uh, so he got he, guillotine choked in 2013 by Gabe Gonzaga. Right, he got choked by Gabe Gonzaga. Right, right, right. Okay, well, but there yeah, you Kane, go, the goat, or yeah, C-level Kane knocked him out in 2009. Yeah, yeah, and by knockout, the referee yeah. deemed it was a TKO, but if you go back and you watch that, Ben Rothwell is livid. He's like, what do you mean? And the rest like, you weren't defending yourself. He's like, I'm fine. It's like, holy crap. Before that, Andre Arlovsky legitimately did knock him out in affliction, beat his ass. And again, you're going back to a fight that was in 2008. His chin is cast iron. I get he's 40 years old at heavyweight. That's really not even that big of a deal breaker. Um, but his chin is cast iron. So you're taking off Delima's one of his biggest weapons right off the hop is that, yeah, you're going to feel the power in those first three minutes. It's like Rothwell will likely be fine. As far as the submission games, okay. So Gonzaga caught him with a guillotine. Gonzaga, especially in 2013, you know, high-end BJJ black belt, one of the best grapplers in the division. You look at that, he hasn't been submitted in eight years. So is fake BJJ black belt Marcos Rogerio de Lima going to submit him? Like, not likely. If de Lima wants to win this fight, he's going to have to settle in and win a decision. Now, you look at his last fight against Maurice Green, he did win a decision. He landed 14 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes, okay? But the easy takedowns against Maurice Green, they're always there. He took them. He just didn't do shit. But if he wants to fight 15 minutes, that's the kind of output he's going to have. The fight... That he wins before that, which would be the Adam Wazorek fight. He no, lands ben 28 Cicoli. significant strikes. Oh, Sassoli was a first-round knockout, right? I mean, oh, the yeah, last time sorry, he won the decision. Sorry, my bad, my bad, yeah. No, 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 it's all good. We know he can get a first-round knockout. I don't think against Rothwell, but that's always been one of his weapons. It's if we're, we think this thing's going some rounds, if he's going to have to beat Ben, he's going to have to beat him by decision. What does his decision look like? And yeah, the other one's the Adam Wazorek fight. He lands 28 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. So... Ben Rothwell also, he shows a 70% takedown rate or something. Uh, he's given up one takedown since 2013. The Gonzaga fight, he gave up three, right? Outside of that, Marcin Tiboro took him down one singular time. That's the only time he'd been taken down in the last seven or eight years. So he, a lot of numbers play toward Ben Rothwell. The longer the fight goes, bet. Ben's one, he's had three of his last five fights go the distance. He's had a lot of fights go the distance. He knows how to pace himself for a big guy. Durability is towards Ben Rothwell. The grappling game is towards Ben Rothwell. That five-finger guillotine, sorry, that 10-finger guillotine, he latches that on. You don't think Marcos Rogério de Lima is going to topple over? And then so let's look at, look at de Lima, for example, right? The uh, Alexander Romanov fight. 
Rome, he starts off pretty good. He's landing some leg kicks. He's backing mm-hmm. off Romanov. All of a sudden, looks like, geez, he's 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 a live dog here. Romanov lands one single takedown. All of a sudden, Delima is a fish out of water. He gives up a forearm choke from half guard and goes unconscious. Like what? No forearm choke. Who the hell uses forearm chokes? Choked him out unconscious from half guard in the first round. Not a BJJ black belt. Ben takes him down. He's going to be in a lot of trouble. I don't think Ben will take him down. But Ben's going to look to pressure. And when you look at the Stefan Struve fight, he wins the first round against Stefan Struve, settles into his guard, does absolutely nothing, but spends the entire round on top of him. Second round starts, he's gassed. All of a sudden, Struve hits him once, he falls over, Struve gets on top and just mauls him, submits him with an arm triangle choke in the second round. Both times, starts off good for two, three minutes. As soon as he ends up on his back, he's done. In this fight, he'll start off pretty decent for two or three minutes. If Ben takes him down, it's done. If Ben doesn't take him down, here becomes path of victory number two, Rogerio de Lima always moves forward, right? Unfortunately, there's no moving forward against Ben Rothwell, right? He's always moving forward. So de Lima's going to have to foot up his back foot, which he can't do, and is very tiring. So, yeah, I think Ben takes it. Now you've got middling heavyweights, one's 40, one's 36. It's a fairly tight line. Do you want overexposure to this fight? No, nah, probably not. Probably but, yeah, not. Ben Rothwell, minus 150, that's the play. 100%. All right, we got uh, Felicia Spencer taking on Leah Letson. Felicia Spencer, minus 310 favorite. Letson can be had four plus 245. What's your take here? This could be a pie shitter of sorts, or it could just be an absolute walk in the park. I think we're all expecting it to be walk in the park. Minus 310 line would suggest. We think that Felicia Spencer has got such a big grappling advantage in this spot that she likely goes down, takes down Leah Letson, and then will just absolutely control from top position. Here's my one issue with that theory, is that her wrestling's actually shat. And she has a reluctancy to go to her wrestling. Why are you fighting Norma Dumont from the outside? Why are you not pressuring her? Why are you not trying to take her down? And yet, in 15 full minutes of fighting Norma Dumont, she attempts effectively zero takedown attempts. Not one. Felicia Spencer's not a striker. I think everybody knows she's not a striker. So what was the game plan? The game plan was clearly out striker. But why? Why not at least try to get the fight to the ground where you would... you have a perceived uh, grappling advantage. BJJ black belt, high end, heavy hips, good ground and pound. Doesn't make sense. You look at the Amanda Nunez fight, it's more of it's more forgivable. It's like, you know, it's Amanda Nunez. She attempted to take it down seven times, but unfortunately it's Amanda Nunez. I just got this issue where she can make this real easy. Go in there, get the takedown. Leah Letson's a big, long, doesn't high center of gravity, doesn't have good takedown defense, but she's an okay kickboxer, right? If this thing stays standing, Spencer could still win it standing by pressuring, getting in her face, making it gritty, but she's going to make it way harder than she needs to be if she doesn't look to take the fight to the ground. And that last fight against Norma Dumont, she loses a split decision. It's agitating, and I bet her that night. Very, very, very aggravating to watch somebody just throw a fight away without even attempting to get the fight back to their best position on the ground. So I'm going to take Felicia Spencer, but yeah, just a little bit worried that like Leah Letson's your underdog this week that everybody looks. So actually this should be a walk in the park. It really should be. Leah Letson mm-hmm. hasn't fought in what, like two, three years. She was a, like a Danish Muay Thai or not Danish Muay Thai. She was like a Muay Thai standout, big gal for the division. But yeah, she's effectively had one fight since 2018. It was a split decision over Julia. They call her uh, Stolio Stinko now because she's That's just it. so awful. So awful in the UFC. I made up that Yeah, yeah. Stolio. Yeah, yeah. That's, split decision that win over really Stolio Stinko is, uh, is, is a yeah. bad look on the resume for sure. 
So this should just be an absolute walk in the park for, for Felicia Spencer. It really should. It's that it's, it's, the walk in the park is take the fight to the ground. Don't just play with your food. And I'm not 100% sure she doesn't do that. So the, the pick is Spencer. Don't know how much I love it just quite yet. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that completely. I'm not touching. Yeah, I'm not touching Let's and coming off of three year layoff. Who knows? Who knows what she's going to look like when she to? shows up to. Uh, shows up to this fight. All right, moving on down. We got Song Yadong taking on Julio Arce. Minus 130, Yadong. Plus 110, Julio Arce. Who we got? Yeah, well, it's going to be really tight, real competitive, real close. So no matter who you go with, I think it ends up lower on the parlays just because there's going to be a lot of variance here. But I don't mind the underdog shot on Julio Arce, plus 110. I mean, he's a very, very smooth operator. I think the biggest question mark for him was... He had lost a close competitive split decision over Kim Dewadu, and then he took like two years off, had both of his elbows surgically repaired. So coming back, there was a little bit of talk, like he's getting a little bit older. He had both of his arms repaired. He's got a two-year-long break. And there was people picking Andre Yule on the basis of, Yule's long, man. This guy's long. He, he's, he can control the outside. He sticks the jab in your face. This is going to be a striker versus striker matchup. The long layoff for Arche might affect him. I thought he looked career best. I thought that's the best Julio Arche ever look. And so he's one of these guys that the layoff clearly didn't hurt him. He must have been doing st- other stuff in the gym. He's always had very good kickboxing. I think he was a Golden Glove boxer out of New Jersey and Pennsylvania a long time ago. Um, but, I mean, good BJJ, smooth, fluid. He works out with a lot of guys that exactly – similar style similar um to him i just feel like arche is a, a pretty smooth all-around fighter right good striker good grappler it that layoff proved that he made a bunch of improvements in that time off and i expect him to continue that when i look at this fight i think song Yudong has done nothing wrong you know they've gave him very very tough matchups he's hung with these tough matchups but part of me does think at 23 years old those savvy, gritty veterans are, can still pull one over on. They can still show him a thing or two. He's a very quick starter. We have seen him slow down in a couple of his fights. Slow down against Cody Stamen. Slow down against Marlon Vera. Slow down against Kyler Phillips. Uh, Kyler Phillips is slowing down at an accelerated rate in that one, so he kind of got away with it a little bit. And then the Casey Kinney fight last time out, I thought he fought a beautiful fight, but it's a split decision. Julio Arce is as good as those aforementioned four guys, in my opinion, and is a very good striker, technically sound. I think that this thing is going the full 15 minutes. It will be competitive. It's a dog or pass type situation. So give me that plus 10, plus 110 underdog in uh, Julio Arce. My only concern with Arce is that typically his volume does not even compare to what Yadong is throwing out there. So hopefully he's got a game plan for that. Or, you know, I mean... What's the what's the best? I mean, just not getting hit by Arche, staying at range and only entering the pocket um, when it when it's the best time to do so. Um, that'll keep those numbers down too. But Song Yudong throws throws strikes at quite a clip um, when he's not getting taken down. Like Cody Stamen was able to take him down five times. Kyler Phillips was able to take him down three times. That that's what kept his numbers in check. But if the fight stays on the feet, he's throwing a hundred plus. RJ yeah. throws like 60 to 70. That would be my only concern. But yeah, I think it's a close fight and I'll 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 side with you dogger pass situation. Um in terms of the topology versus my sheet, we're a little I guess they they rejigged it since I uh made the cheat sheet here. So maybe we're a little bit off our regular scheduled programming here. But anyway, we'll go Tiago Moises takes on Joel Alvarez. Tiago Moises is a minus 250 favorite. Alvarez plus 210. I mean, the way that this fight kind of plays out is Joel Alvarez 
is a very, very sneaky grappler. He's got pretty solid sub- submission skills. Stand-up game seems to be a work in progress. Tiago Moises, a much more finished project uh, project with a BJJ, BJJ black belt. So the question becomes, how does Joel Alvarez win this fight? I know he's got a significant reach advantage, but can he really use that reach advantage? I'm not so sure. Um, don't love the price on Tiago Moises, but I think he kind of has... Joel Alvarez, who's still kind of developing uh, into the, you know, the finished product himself. I think he kind of has him covered at, at, at all angles here. So I, I'm expecting Tiago Moises to kind of keep this as a slower pace type of fight. You know, pick his shots, enter the pocket when he, when he wants to. Maybe even take him down because he's not too scared about getting submitted by Joel Alvarez. Most people are scared of it. His, his submission game is is very very is excellent um i think moises can kind of go wherever he wants in this fight so i think he's a rightful favorite not excited about minus 250 however what about you yeah Chago moises just keeps making improvements it's important to note he debuted in the ufc against benil dariush he's 23 years old and so when i look at him now he's still only 26 full-time out of american top team you really see this guy making a lot of improvements and starting to come into his own uh, namely the Michael Johnson fight, he gets shit kicked in the first round, like, holy crap, 10, eight round. And, but you know, when he stays with it, he stays the course, he shows that he's got a good chin, he comes back and he submits him, but not a very good performance. The Bobby green fight. I thought he lost as did a vast majority of people, but he took down Bobby green when he needed to, he outstruck Bobby green in the key moments when he needed to, which is kind of cool. Right. And he gets a decision. Then the Alexander Hernandez fight, he, no excuses there. He beat him all three rounds. He looked good in the Alexander Hernandez fight. You see his striking improving a lot. We see he's very comfortable. BJJ black belt, wrestling not bad. And then the Islam Makachev fight. So Colby's all upset that they didn't give him that takedown over Kamaru Uzman because, hey, it'd be, it's a moral victory to say you took down Kamaru. Thiago Moises took down Islam Makachev, according to Fight Metric, right? They scored that baby a takedown. And I think, honestly, that's the key here. So Joel Alvarez has got a 0% takedown defense in the UFC. Four guys, three guys, have attempted to take him down. They all got him down the very first attempt. Daniil Biluardo attempted two. He got two. Joe Duffy attempted one. He got it. Alexander Yakovlev attempted one. He got it. Those three guys fell into the submission. Thiago Moises has been submitted once. His entire career, Islam Makachev, who we all know is an absolute tyrant, an absolute beast, and they took him four rounds. So what are the even though Joel Alvarez is a total badass, you're not submitting a guy from your guard at the high level, no. right? You can, you, you can submit Danilo Belluardo, who's a Bellator veteran from Italy who's since been released. You could submit Joe Duffy, who's from an Irish over-the-hill prospect who retired right after the fight because he's like, this is over for me. And you can get... Alexander Kovlov, a Russian rapper who I believe is 37 years old and also released from the promotion. Work against those guys. Not going to work against this man. So I think the takedowns are going to be on display because he's never bothered to shore up his wrestling because he's so comfortable off his back. He's almost pulling guard. So all Moises has got to do is go out there, initiate the grappling, end up on top. And there's a very good chance he's going to be able to just stifle his top game, stay on top. If this thing is at striking range, Moises has made a lot of improvements to his game. As far as cardio goes, he can fight three rounds. His last fight, he was into the fourth round before he eventually lost to probably the number one or two guy in the world, right? Uh, there's a lot. And again, Moises is 26 years old and out of the best camp in the world. So I don't expect any regression from him. I just think he's going to continuously get better, but the path of victory is there. The takedown, 
and Moises has enough wrestling to do so. You've seen him, one, he has a recorded takedown over Islam Makachev. Beyond that, the two takedowns over Bobby Green, four takedowns over Kurt Holobo, who's a pretty good American wrestler. He, he's going to have enough to go out there and take down Joel Alvarez, who, again, sports a 0% takedown defense. So, uh, yeah, I think that the pick's got to be Thiago Moises. I could see it going into the later rounds. I could see it going to decision. But him being able to neutralize the grappling from top position will be the key and the big difference maker. And last but not least, Alvarez is like six foot three, right? 77-inch reach. So he's got these super long limbs. He's super unorthodox. But neutralizing a guy like that, they don't get up very well. They'll throw up submission attempts but they don't create the explosions to get back up. So Moises is not going to have to chase five takedowns. He'll just need one in every round, and then that should be it. So I, uh, I got to think that his superior grappling wins the day. Don't love the price, like you're saying, but I think we're going to have to pay to play on this one. All right. Cynthia Calvillo is a minus 130 favorite. Andrea KGB Lee plus 110. Here's the fact. that. I mean, Cynthia Calvillo should have a massive wrestling advantage here. She should be spamming takedowns from the get-go. And that seems to be... Uh, Laura Murphy took her down two times. Uh, won a close split decision. Uh, Joanne Calderwood took her down two times. Montana De La Rosa took her down. Took down a Andrea Lee five times. Ashley Evans-Smith, two times. I think Calvillo is a better grappler than, honestly, all of them. When she's at her best. So at Roxanne Montefiore, four times. Take her down immediately. Opening bell. And this should be a pretty easy win. Just control from top control. I know that Andrea Lee, you know, she was able to, you know, flip that script on, on Antonina Shevchenko. Bad Shevchenko. But that's not really going to be a, uh, you know, the path to victory here. Uh, Calvillo, if she stands at range, she probably gets out volume. She just doesn't throw enough strikes uh, in pretty much all of her fights, but uh, the path is there. You, you lean on that wrestling, take down, take down, take down. If she gets back up, take her down again. And I feel like Calvillo is the side here. Just spam takedowns, get as many takedowns as humanly possible. Probably goes 15. Maybe there's like a maybe there's a massive grappling advantage for somebody here. But I mean, you go back, yeah, go back to the 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 fight against Jessica I, where a lot of people thought that the wrestling would maybe be a wash between the two of them. That was that's the performance we need from Cynthia Calvillo here. And I think minus one thirty Cynthia Calvillo is a decent little wager. What about you? Yeah, honestly, I would like to just say pass in this fight. Like, I got a bad gut feeling. That Calvillo is actually going to end up losing this one by some fluke chance. I know, I know, because wrestling is the path of victory we love to pursue the most. And she's got a clear path of victory here with her wrestling. Not only is she a pretty decent grappler within the division. Yeah, you mentioned Andrea Lee gives up takedowns to every one of her opponents. And that ends up being the difference maker in almost all of her fights. But keep this in mind. Her fight with Roxanne Montefiore, she outstruck her 97 to 60 and landed three takedowns of her own. A lot of people thought it was a close decision, but she lost it. The fight with Lauren Murphy, she outstruck her 104 to 80. A lot of people thought she won that fight. It's a close split loss. The fight with Joanne Calderwood, she actually took Calderwood down three times, got taken down twice. It's a split decision. I thought that was a little more clear cut for Calderwood, but they're, they're actually all really close decisions. A lot of people thought she won some of them. Two of them are, in fact, split decisions. So it's not like she's getting routed. It's that she could be winning these fights a lot easier if not for the fact that she's giving up takedowns. I just feel like Lee, it's been the same narrative every time is that she can't wrestle. And I really do feel like she's attempting 
to shore that up and become a better grappler, become a better wrestler, keep these fights standing where you'd be able to use that superior volume. It's just to this point, it hasn't really materialized. So yeah, I would have to be going on a big narrative that I believe that she is actively working on those holes. But yeah, again, if she can keep the fight standing, stuff a few takedowns and keep it standing against Calvillo, she's going to have a bunch of advantages. Calvillo's 34 years old. And keep in mind, her best fights of her career were at 115 pounds or her opponent would make 115 and she'd come in at 120 and have a five pound weight advantage and win. As far as being at 125 goes, she's one and two. Jessica and Josh, I'll give you a pass on that one. Kaylin Chikagian, I'll give you a pass on that one too. Win over Jessica, I, that's still pretty decent. So a one and two record... It's not a big deal. It's just at 34, I don't know that she's an elite level wrestler. I don't know that she's added any major wrinkle to her games. And I don't know that she's going to go and shoot five or six takedowns as much as she may come in and shoot a few takedowns. The Caitlin Chikagian fight, everybody and their mother, thank God I was on Chikagian, but everybody and their mother thought Kavia would just have that big wrestling advantage. What happens is she comes in, she gets stuffed on like the first shot or two, and then just looks lost and just stands there and gets outpointed. I almost have a feeling that that could happen with Andrea Lee is that she comes out here. They mix it up a little bit. Lee's going to be able to dictate the range. Lee hits harder. Lee's physically strong just as a shitty wrestler. But if she gets locks up with the Calvillo up against the cage, stuffs the first takedowns, creates space, starts landing on her, you know, maybe even stuffs that second takedown mentally, I think Lee starts to take over. So Maybe you want to bet this one live. Maybe it's a better live betting opportunity. I just think it's probably going to go 15 minutes. It's probably going to be close. The three times that Lee's wrestling has lost her the fight, they were two split decisions and one close unanimous. So, yeah, she's not ever really out of the fight. This thing's going to go 15. It's going to be close. Calvillo maybe wins, and maybe 130 is a steal. But I kind of got it chalked up closer to a dogger pass, to be honest. So I may be interested in taking a filler shot on Andrea Lee. It would be very low down the ticket. And I want to see weigh-ins as well. But as of right now, I'm going to chalk it up to a Dodger pass. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets, basically just giving you $100 free dollars in free bets. If the Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with that DraftKings daily fantasy sports contest DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code DOP bet one dollar on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code DOP this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Moving on down the card, we've got Miguel Baeza taking on Chaos Williams. This is when I said that the order was a little bit out. It's because Dawkins' fight versus Deletes dropped off of the dropped off of the main card, dropped off of the card in general. So this has obviously been moved up to the main card now, but we've got Beza as a minus 145 favorite. Chaos Williams plus 125. Kind of a 
tale of two skill sets. My Miguel Baeza, very, very cl- uh, clean, crisp striker, very technical in his approach. And Chaos Williams, I mean, all of his success comes from just knocking fools out, which we have seen the end of that. The death touch that he has had has uh, has not shown up in a couple fights now. And he looks, you know, he just looks, he looks average. He looks human at this point. Uh, it was a decent performance against Semmelsberger to get to right the ship after losing to Michel Pereira. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Beza I have seen, and that's why I think I ended up losing money fading him against uh, Matt Brown because I was ex- I had seen him get uh, a little bit rocked in some of his other fights before and was hoping Matt Brown would be the man to put him out of his misery. That did not happen. Second round, TKO, Matt Brown goes down. But, um, but y- yeah, I mean, Beza probably wins the volume here. Can, does his chin get cracked? Probably not. I'm going to go with the younger... I guess, is he younger? Maybe not. 92, 90, no, no, Chaos Williams is younger. So, yeah, Beza, this, Beza's a finished product. I, I always kind of assume that he's younger than he is. What, he's uh, he's already 29 years old at this point. Um, I, I think the volume will will lean towards will lean towards Beza here. I have seen that chin kind of checked in some of his other fights. So do we see the return of Chaos Williams in that in that death touch? Perhaps. Not a fight I have extreme confidence about. Do you? Yeah, no, I don't think you can have extreme confidence. Even though Chaos Williams' big power hasn't shown up in his last couple fights, uh, it doesn't mean he doesn't got big power. And he's got really fast hands, too. I think that really does complement the fact that he does got the knockout punch is that he can land left, right, bum, bum, two-piece combination, and hope one of them flatlines you. So... When you look at Miguel Beza, his fight on uh, Dana White's Contender Series against uh, Victor Reyna, he didn't look all that good, right? He gets a softball against Hector Aldana. The Matt Brown fight, they, they have no recorded knockdown for Matt Brown, but Matt Brown had him absolutely on skates. And then the Santiago Ponzinibbio fight, no recorded knockdown, but he had him absolutely on skates. So, yeah, I think if Chaos Williams lands, he could definitely hurt him. Uh, you mentioned at 29 years old, you thought Miguel Beza was more of a finished product. And so that's where I will disagree. I think Miguel Beza has lots of room for growth. And I think him losing to Santiago Ponzinibbio, best thing for him. Why? Because at 10 and 0, you needed to get a gut check. You need to be in a tough fight. You need to get extended. You need to see what you were made out of. He didn't look terrible against Santiago Ponzinibbio. What did happen, though, is the fight went the distance. And him versus Takashi Sato, second round finish. Him versus Matt Brown, he knocks him out 18 seconds into the second. Him versus Victor Aldani, takes him out in the second. He's been having his way. And at 10-0, you're feeling good. You're fighting low-level competition. Santiago Ponzinibbio has got key victories within the division. At one point, he was ranked as high as like number seven at 170 pounds. The guy's extremely talented. He's one of the better veterans in the in the game at, at, at welterweight, I suppose. And he's out of American Top Team, the best gym in the world. He posed a ton of problems. I thought Beza looked good early. The thing is, is that Ponzinibbio is so experienced, he rallied late. He took him into deep waters, and he ended up winning the fight. But Ponzinibbio's lead leg was chewed up. And I love that about Beza. Low calf kick for days just really starts to freeze you up. You see it also in the Ponzinibbio fight that he's extended. He's tired, but he's still throwing. He lands 104 significant strikes. That's all good. He was forced to go 15 minutes. He loses for the first time. Back to MMA Masters. Back to work on your game. 
I think that there's going to be a lot of improvements out of him. Chaos Williams, one thing about him is he's a tad bit stationary and he's a little bit heavy on his lead foot. So that low calf kick is going to be there all day long. Bays of Minds' P's and Q's stays to the outside. I think he's going to be a little bit faster just with his footwork. And then he's just got to be in and out, kick the leg, get out again. Let Chaos Williams be the one to have to get aggressive. Let him be the one that has to come forward. Because what we saw in the Michelle Pereira fight was he worried too much about Pereira's power. He got gun shy. He didn't throw anything. It was a terrible fight. The fight was Semmelsberger. So if you just want to look at it for the numbers, he outstrikes Semmelsberger 91 to 64. He wins a unanimous decision. All judges, they agreed. The fans likely agreed too. But Semmelsberger was in a good go with them, man. He was landing little touch-touch shots. Semmelsberger was actually sitting down and starting to get to him. The later the fight was going, Semmelsberger starts to have his way. And the third round is is definitely the best round for uh, for Semmelsberger. So I feel like if Beza just minds his P's and Q's early, chops the lead leg, takes him into that second, third round, if it's 1-1 going into the third, Beza pulls through, gets the victory. I am definitely worried about the power from Chaos Williams, but I feel like Miguel Beza coming off his first career loss will have reassessed things, better version of himself, better cardio, and uh, good game plan gets the victory. All right, Sean Woodson takes on Colin Anglin. Sean Woodson, a minus 335 favorite. Colin Anglin can be had for plus 260. Woodson minus 335, eh? Is this top ticket material for you? Because this is this no. is more your this is more your type. But like, there's no way I am touching this guy at minus three thirty five. I just, I just don't really see it. I know he's got super super freakishly freakishly long arms for the division. He's very very he's large. He's got an eight inch reach advantage in this spot. Anglin didn't look great. He obviously took a uh, a thrashing against Melsic Balgasarian in round two there. Um, but he showed that he's pretty durable. I just think he just ate way too many shots. Um, Wood, yeah, Woodson at minus three thirty-five. I mean, this entire card, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, unsure about where to actually place my money this week. But Woodson minus three thirty-five is not a shot I'll be taking. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, I think this week's a lot different from last week where you've got a little higher caliber of fighter and people that you could really trust, even though they're the three-to-one favorites, they're probably going to go take care of business for you. Two-to-one favorites, probably going to take care of business for you. Here, you're looking at your big favorites on the card. It's like, oh, I don't necessarily agree with a bunch of them. Felicia Spencer is not above shitting in an apple pie. Uh, and it drops you down to Sean Woodson. It's like, how much, how much faith can you have on Woodson, a guy that is primarily just a boxer? He lets his hands go. Doesn't throw a ton of kicks. It's mostly just a lot of feints, a lot of uppercuts, a lot of jabs. And he's got an eight-inch reach advantage in the spot. He normally has about a six to eight-inch reach advantage in a lot of the spots. So even though it's a deadly weapon and he uses it effectively, it's not something that other guys haven't seen. I suppose the one worry from let's go all in on a Sean Woodson is that Colin Anglin wrestled uh, collegiately at Michigan State University. So, I mean, he is a decent enough wrestler. You see him use his wrestling in pretty much all of his fights. And then the Melsic Bagdasarian fight, he gets knocked out by a head kick before he really gets going. But I suppose with Woodson, he throws a ton of volume. He has almost no, this is going to sound ridiculous, he has almost no knockout power. He knocked out Terrence McKinney with a flying knee. But outside of that, if you look at his record, he does show just a ton of decisions. Mm-hmm. And he'll hit you 150 times. The opponent doesn't go down. The more he throws, though, the more he gets tired. The more he gets tired, the more he gets sloppy. The more he gets sloppy, um, Yusuf Zalal took him down. Julian Rosa took him down. I could see Colin Anglin having decent cardio, just letting this guy punch himself out a little bit and then scoring with the takedowns, grinding him up against the cage, trying to neutralize him, disrupt his, his balance, and uh, maybe grinding some points out. You could see it. 
The one thing I'll give Sean Woodson though, he's out of uh, Glory MMA and Fitness in Kansas, and like they just got a ton of grinders in the gym. So I would say he's another guy like Miguel Beza, or he's another guy like Andrea Lee, where you know what the flaw is, and you're in the type of room you're young enough in the type of room that you could be improving in this one area. James Krause is excellent at coming out with these brilliant game plans, and uh, no doubt they're going to have Sean Woodson ready for wrestlers. And theoretically, Yusuf Zalal presented the exact same threats. You saw him do a decent job in that fight, get taken down, but immediately get back up and then eventually outpoint him. With Anglin, he doesn't seem super comfortable standing. Uh, if you were such a good wrestler, why would you have not taken down Melsic Bagdasarian? What the hell was the game plan there? You want to hang out in the feet with him? Like, come on. So, yeah, if he doesn't take down Woodson, he's getting beat up. And even if he does take Woodson down, Terrence McKinney took him down, Woodson got back up. Julian Rosa took him down uh, the early portions, he would just get back up. Yusuf Zalal took him down, he just got back up. I got to feel like he's in the type of room where he knows I get taken down in practice all the time, I get back up. And with those legs, man, it's very difficult to continuously be taking him down, disrupting his balance, because it doesn't take much for him to just get one foot in, you know, stand back up again. Now, all of a sudden, you got to chase the hips. Type of grinding style. I'm going to take Woodson. You know me. I'm a big Woodson fan. I pretty much always back him. It's just, <laughs> it's always so sweaty, man. It's always so yeah. greasy, man. It's not exactly comfortable sitting there being like, yeah, we got it. It's like, oh, son of a bitch. And hopefully he pulls it off. I would so I got him I got him winning here but I don't love it and I'm not going to put him overly high just because of the three to one price difference. I would say be careful too because obviously in the in the fight with uh, Julian Arosa he came in at 149 missed weight gets subbed in round three looked super super gassed in round three so if he comes I mean he's six foot two and he fights at featherweight it's like he's obviously (laughs) cutting in an absurd amount of weight um so if he if he looks really really drained if he comes in and he misses he misses particular if he comes in at like 147 one because that means that you know that they really tried yeah, i mean it, anything over 149 and i imagine they probably just called the fight anyway so um yeah i would say before laying laying the wood with somebody like woodson make sure that you check out the weigh-ins because he has missed before and it was a it was a sign that uh, maybe he's not going to have cardio in round three. And if a, if it's a guy who doesn't have too much like game changing power in his hands, I mean he's going to need that that cardio to go the full three rounds. All right, moving on down, we got Courtney Casey taking on Liana Jajua. Casey minus two thirty five, Jajua plus one ninety. Courtney Casey nine and nine. Well, she's fought kind of all of the. All of the best of the best. Here's the thing about Liana Jajua. I, obviously, she's got a bit of a grappling. Uh, I wouldn't even say advanced, but she's grappling is her go-to. She gets most of her wins with you know arm bars, arm bars from guard. The stand-up game looks very, very much like a, a work in progress. Uh, she she basically blocks punches with her face. Um. Uh, last fight was over a year ago, so maybe, just maybe, she's, you know, putting in the work, making improvements, but I think she gets a vet lesson here. Uh, Courtney Casey hasn't looked great in a while, but uh, her skill set overall is far advanced to what I've seen from Jajua. Maybe Jajua all of a sudden has, like, a double-leg takedown and is able to do some work from top, but... Until I've seen it, I can't bet it. So Casey gets the win. I never want to bet Courtney Casey at minus 235, but I think she's got her outgunned everywhere here. What about you? 
Yeah, well, see, there's there's the million dollar thing. You can pick, get a nine and nine fighter, and she's only the price tag of a minus two thirty five favorite. So it's like you're not betting Courtney Casey because you think Courtney Casey's a superior fighter. You're betting against Joshua. You think Joshua is no good, and that's the reason. Yeah, I would probably agree with that assessment. Like the one thing that would have had me a little bit nervous was the other day when the UFC put her and she's next to Marab Devashvili. I was like, oh shit. But they were supporting that guy who Marab said was a better wrestler than him, couldn't complete a single takedown. So I, I'm not worried that she's made these crazy improvements. I don't know. She's not even training with Marab Dimashvili. She's at a syndicate MMA now. Um, yeah, okay. So here's here's the million-dollar problem, right? She's – we'll just talk about her last three fights. She loses to Sarah Maras, TKO. Friends don't let friends bet on people who have lost to Sarah Maras, let alone got TKO'd. The Diana Balbita fight, she getting lit up standing. And then Balbita shoots the takedown and she ends up getting an arm body guard out of it. So not really a good performance as far as I'm concerned. And then the Miranda Maverick fight, uh, she was landing some crisp bombs, but Maverick just paid no attention, walked right through, beat on her. The cut, it seems like it's not even that bad of a cut. It just looks like the cut man looks at the corner and they all look at each other and they're just like, get out of here right like just not a very good look and now she's been off this year so she's still young enough that she could make improvements but what's her game right it seems like she has the most success with the grappling and she might be able to throw up an armbar or something of the like but she comes from a muay thai background she's not even really a grappler by trade she's a striker by trade she's just far too hittable and all of it just makes her a big liability courtney casey meanwhile has got like that just scrap attitude she's a bjj brown belt her grappling has let her down a time or two in the past, but I wouldn't say she's a fish out of water by any stretch. But really, the fight with J.J. Aldrich, she's outstriking Aldrich. Aldrich is the one becomes a wrestler and shoots takedowns. Jillian Robertson, she's outstriking Jillian Robertson. Robertson uses the takedowns. Uh, a lot of these fights, Angela Hill, she lands over 100 significant strikes on Angela Hill. She's fought Michelle Watterson. She landed over 100 significant strikes on Jessica Aguilar. She had the distance of Claudia Gadelia. She's been in world-class fights. She's landed, she's got good volume. And beyond all that, it's that you, how do you beat her is take her down. Seemingly, that's been the way to defeat her is mixing those takedowns and take her down. Joshua doesn't have a wrestling game. So it's up to – it's going to be a stand-up battle. I think Courtney Casey dictates that stand-up battle. She'll be in her face. She'll be landing more volume. And if for whatever reason the fight does hit the ground, it should be on Casey's accord. Not that she'll shoot one because she just doesn't seem to do it, but – if she won Joshua down, it would be her decision. I don't think the path here is take Joshua down. I think it's stand up and be aggressive and stay in her face. But again, you've got someone who's 34 years old, has a 9-9 nine and nine professional record, has not won a fight in almost two years. That fight was against Mara Barella, so take it for what it's worth. And she's a minus 235 favorite. So can you top ticket someone like that? No, you can't. Can you second ticket someone like that? Yeah, you could, but you'd feel real embarrassed if she loses and everyone's staying... How could you take this? It's like, well, because I thought Joshua was bad. But that mentality can get you in trouble. So, yeah, the pick will be Courtney Casey. It's just I got to figure out what the trust level is like. And, of course, yeah, you want to see weigh-ins. Courtney Casey used to fight at 115. She's up at 125 now. It doesn't seem to be all that physically strong. Joshua, meanwhile, seems like she's going to be the bigger, stronger girl. Has she made improvements in that year off? Or is she going to be the same crappy version that we've seen in the past? Who knows, man? And all those who knows are red flags. They're unknowns. They're variances. And it just kind of doesn't really want me to have much exposure to it. It doesn't give me the confidence to have overexposure anyway. That makes sense to me. All right. We got Mark Diacasey taking on Raphael Elves. Minus 195 uh, Diacasey, plus 165 Alves. Who do you got? 
I guess you go, ah, yeah, I don't know. See, this is another one. I think you go to get Casey. He's the favorite, probably the rifle favorite. If you want to talk about experience, DJ Casey's got it. He's a better athlete, a little bit quicker. Uh, just opened up a new gym in Europe. Like, But he's been off for a little while. And here's the thing for me is that I thought he looked, see, again, it's a difficult. I thought he looked atrocious against Rafael Fazeev. I mean, awful. He looked like a deer in the headlights, petrified, didn't want to engage him like classes below him and it's just a very very overall poor performance on the other hand he's taking on half elf disease who's just an absolute murderer but looking back at the fight it wasn't like he wasn't landing it's that he didn't really want to commit to anything and i think he just over respected half elf disease prior to that he's got big wins right lando venata that's a solid victory he lost to Drakkar close dan hooker nazarat hakparos right some of the top guys in the division. So if you want to talk about experience, yeah, Dia Casey's got it. He's going to be a little bit faster. At 155 pounds, he's the natural lightweight. Alves is a monster 45er, but, you know, not the biggest 55er going. I think he's got a lot of those advantages. But seeing how bad he looked his last time out, the year-long layoff, opening up his own gym where he's essentially one of his own head coaches now, none of that really bodes confidence. Alves, meanwhile, he's... He's, he's crazy, man. He goes out there and he just explodes into techniques, right? Gives it 100% effort and then sits back and coasts. Coasts for his next opportunity to explode. So the guy hit, he knocked down Demir Ishmagulov. That's, that's no easy task. But what you see is that he doesn't follow on anything. He doesn't put really any type of volume together. And in the end, he lands 30 strikes over the course of 15 minutes. It's just not enough. Even the fight on Contender Series against Alejandro Flores, he had landed... 16 significant strikes more than halfway through the fight so he's not a big volume guy and i think that kind of volume is going to allow him to fall behind on guys that are just going to stay to the outside and pick away at him and point away at him and that's what dia casey's gonna do he's got the better footwork he's a little bit faster he's a little bit quicker i think he's a little bit longer and i think he's just going to stay to the outside use his jab use the low calf kick and move out of the way it's not that alves couldn't win this fight it's that alves is not going to fight a full 15 minutes whereas dia casey will and i think that that eventually is going to be the difference maker so Got to go with the bone crusher to get back on track. I just don't really know what his ceiling is at this point, unless he comes out here and puts on an awesome performance. And for Alves, he was one of those like uh, he's not a, he's not a cheater, right? But he's one of his, they call it weight bullies in boxing. Not that that's a real thing, right? But he was a Brazilian weight bully, you know. Like his biggest advantage was he was the biggest 145 pounder you've ever seen in your life, which has resulted to him coming into the UFC. And he missed weight this first time out by like 10 pounds, didn't he? He was supposed to fight Dia Casey. He withdrew. No, he fought Demir Ismagulov, and he came in at one. Right, it was the Pat Sabatini fight. So he signed. He signed on to fight Pat Sabatini, and he missed weight by ten pounds. Yeah, they were so like, they, "We're they not going to do fight that and fight." Him up. Yeah, and, and they were so mad. They was like, "What the hell?" They're like, "You know what? You get. You get to go to fifty fight and fight Demir Ishmagulov is what you get. That's just like punishment." And he loses the fight, but Ishmagulov is so precise. Very high ring IQ, but similar to a Magomed Ankalaev, he's not the most exciting guy because he just he just dictates the range, dictates the action. But you saw how Alves, for somebody who's not just going to have a, a brawl with him, for somebody who's not just going to fall into his traps, he does just do a little too much sitting and waiting. And I think Dia Casey, not as good as Ismagulov, but he'll fight a similar game plan, plan from the outside, and it should uh, yield results. So I got Dia Casey here. And it's early enough in the card that I probably will have him a little higher than I should. Because if something was to go wrong, and you know, I can build back up. I don't want to rebuild. I really don't. But let's be honest. This is not last week's card. This isn't the card that we had in Abu Dhabi, right? Yeah. Uh, people want to say, oh, man, you had an awesome uh, card last week. You got one wrong. Shit, the week before, we only got two wrong, right? Well, we got Jan Blockowitz, and we got uh terrible little Brazilian grappler. Well, not terrible. She gassed out so goddamn early. 
Doesn't matter, right? Uh, you get too wrong, right? It's all about the order, the placement. So Dia Casey, he's one of the safer picks on this card. Nine and nine, Courtney Casey. Eh? Sean Woodson, who's been prone against grapplers and gassing late, and too big of a favorite. Cynthia Calvia, on trust for all. Tiago Moises, I like, but we're going to have to overplay. Uh, Song Yudong, Julio Arce. Dude, you're right. Yudong's going to have the volume. I'm hoping Arce lands the cleaner shots, but it all comes down to what two of the three judges are looking at, not what I think. Beza versus Williams. Beza's playing with fire, man. 100% he is. Got to mind in P's and Q's. Felicia Spencer, non-existent ring IQ. Ben Rothwell, it's a 40-year-old heavyweight. Max Holloway, he's an 8-to-1 favorite. There's no meat on the bone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to take a shot on one of these guys, and unfortunately, Dia Casey might be him. Well, maybe maybe there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel here. We got Daong Jung taking on Kennedy and Juku. Minus 120, Daong Jung. Plus 100 and Juku. I mean, I tried to I tried to fade in Juku against Danilo Marquez last last time out, and I mean, in credit where credits due, he fought off the hands. He had he was like back tri triangled for like all of round one. Round two was what taken down, and then Marquez was cooked and died in twenty seconds into round three. Um, I I played Marquez straight. I had played him. By submission. So credit where credit's due. Kennedy had put in the work. He put in the time. He had figured out, you know, what's this guy's only path to victory for me? Dong Jung uh, cost me money. I think I bet William Knight against him. So, like, both of these guys have cost me money bet trying to fade them. Now they fight against each other. I've got to pick a winner. Um, I thought what Dong Jung was able to do to William Knight was pretty impressive, though. Just, like... It was just that body lock trip takedown over and over. Did it eight times, secured a bunch of top control, didn't land too many strikes, didn't have to because he was able to get that control. Uh, Darko Stosic was able to take down Kennedy on Juku four times. I'm going to lean towards Daong Jung here to get the job done, but I think we did see improvements in Kennedy and Juku's game last time out that if he does get to the ground, Daniel Marcos is a great grappler. If he does get to the ground, he's going to fight to get back to his feet. And he's going to deliver, you know, tough shots and uh, and utilize that range that he's got, 83-inch reach, um, when, he, when he's up on the feet. Uh, he showed that he, that he can be losing and he's never going to quit on himself. So that is pretty, uh, you know, it's good for him and it's good for you know, his future in this sport. I'm going to lean towards the wrestler. You know me, I always do. Um, and Dong Jung's going to get enough takedowns to secure that control and get the W over Kennedy and Juku. What do you think here? Uh, you know what? I can see it. I can see it. I feel like I want to take the dog shot. I feel like it's plus 100, so it's not a huge underdog shot. I think the narrative here is that Kennedy and Juku can't wrestle. We saw that in his last fight. And that Dong Jung can wrestle because he scored... Eight takedowns. So let's dissect the first part with Da Ung Jung, right? Da Ung Jung scored the eight takedowns over William Knight. Those eight takedowns were largely the outside trip, as you mentioned. But he didn't really have great top controls. He, William Knight just kept getting back up, which is why he needed eight takedowns. That's not a great sign. William Knight's not particularly great off his back to begin with. And he was using the same takedown repeat, repeatedly. Now, keep this in mind William Knight stands approximately five foot 10 and has a 73 inch long a 73 inch reach so he's six inches shorter than kenny and jaku and has a 12 inch reach disadvantage in compared to ken kenny has an 85 inch reach 
and stands six foot five, right? William Knight's five foot 10 with a 73 inch reach. So that's extremely problematic as far as I'm concerned. Getting those same outside trips against Kennedy and not going to be as easy. Now, people keep wanting to talk about the William Knight fight. Well, why don't we talk about the Sam Alvey fight? He looked awful against he Sam did. Alvey, Paul. Awful. He That's lost why I bet William rounds. Knight. He got punched. Yeah, of course. So did I, because he looked so bad. I, what I didn't know was that William Knight could fucking stop an outside trip. There's my second F-bomb. Please catch that one for me. Uh, how was I supposed to know he could stop four, an outside four, trip? Uh, four, I'm told. There's been four F-bombs. Or maybe... I'm getting fired up. I'm getting maybe fired Maybe a couple up. S-bombs. Uh, yeah, S-bombs, and I think there was a B-bomb in there. But uh, the F-bombs, I think, is the only one that You're TV talking people talking about a dog, about. a female dog. Yeah, exactly, right? So so this is the crazy thing, is that he gets outstruck by, by Sam Alvey. He lost the first two rounds in everybody's eyes. Media scores, couchside judges, 29-28 Alvey. Uh, SureDog.com, Alvey, uh, all three guys from SureDog, Alvey. Sorry, there was four guys from SureDog, all Alvey. Mania, Alvey. BJPen.com, Alvey. Wrestling Observer, Alvey. The Body Lock, MMA, Alvey. Combat Press, Alvey. Another SureDog, Alvey. TheScore.com, Alvey. CageSide Press. TheBodyLock.com. CombatSide Press. Post Wrestling. Shout out to John Pollock. Uh, Fightful.com. All have this thing, Alvey. Junkie has it a draw. Dwayne Fox has it a draw from Bloody Elbow. Severe MMA has it. One guy scores the fight for Joan. So consensus, fans thought Alvey won. Uh, media thought Alvey won. And for whatever reason, Ja Ung Jung lands. He, he knocked down Alvey in the third. And that, that got him the 10-8. That saved him. He was in a fight to the death, down two rounds against Sam Alvey. <laughs> this is bad news, man. And then, so what? He took down William Knight eight times. William Knight's tiny for this weight class. I'm not saying it's not impressive. I just don't know if it's enough. So now let's talk about Kennedy real quick. So Kennedy, he beats Darko, and then he takes uh, two full years off, over two, two and a half years off. Carlos Olberg, who's Izzy Adesanya's buddy, right? He's a male model down in New Zealand. He's like a, a local celebrity or something like that. They handpick Kennedy. It, he, Kennedy's, what was he, like a three-to-one underdog? Two-to-one underdog against Carlos Olberg. He's expected to lose. And it looked like he made a lot of improvements. He got rocked early, stayed with it, chin stayed up. Cardio looked improved, and the guy's got some serious volume standing. Next fight against Daniel Marquez, yeah, he gets taken down early. He remains composed. Cardio checks out, takes him out late. Da Ung Jung, he's going to have the same problem. When you look at Da Ung Jung, especially by the numbers, his fight with William Knight, he landed 28 significant strikes over 15. His fight with Sam Alvey, he landed 56 over the course of 15. He's a low-volume guy. When you look at Kennedy, Kennedy easily can go 100 significant strikes all day if you're willing to stand up to him, and he will. Dong Jung will try to take him down. It's going to prove to be a lot more difficult taking on this monster of a man who's at Fortis MMA, where he's rapidly improving. And I don't want to be the guy that brings up this like Nigerian wave of MMA fighters, but what you do is you have guys that were very green and very raw, and now they're improving very quickly because they're great athletes. They've got freakish body types, six foot five, 83 inch reach, man. It is only a matter of time before this guy starts to put it together. And I see that he is putting it together. I like these guys that can drop a round or two and come back because they know what they got to do. It's just taking them a little while to get going. And eventually things are all going to line up and he will be a problem. Guy is 29 years old. He's been fighting professional for less than five years. I think this is a legitimate prospect. He's just got to put it together. These three fight winning streak. He's feeling confident. He's feeling himself. He's got the volume. Just got to keep it standing for long enough. If you told me Da Ung Jung was the favorite, I would go with the narrative of, well, the takedowns and maybe the, if you're going to give me Kenny as the underdog, 
I'm going to have to just, it's another dog or pass situation. I think he's got the superior volume. And if he can use that size to keep this fight standing a little bit, he, uh, he'll have some good. Sam Alvey almost beat this guy, man. Come on. We got to, we got to keep that in mind here. So dog or pass to, to, to end things, or depending on your perspective to kick things off for fight of the card. All right. I don't even have any bets this week coming into this, uh, you know, my spot right here where I usually say that I've got a bet. I saw DraftKings finally release their props. Uh, Rothwell by sub is plus 500. Uh, the rest of the markets mm. moved to like plus 300, plus 350. So uh, if you're listening right now, I, uh, I, w- I would go and hit the plus 500 that I see. It opened up at plus 550, but it looks like action's already coming in. So by the time you listen to this, it's probably plus 350 already. And a lot of the meat is getting, meat is getting taken off of the bone. But yeah, I like Rothwell. I like Rothwell to win by submission. Not necessarily that he gets takedowns. I think that Marcos Rosario gets tired, turns into a panic wrestler, and falls into the five-finger, whatever the hell that's called. The thing that Rothwell does, five-finger guillotine choke. Uh, I uh, Yeah, Rothwell, Rothwell by sub. Um, it's not as great as, you know, Barnett last time. I think we were, they were giving us something silly like 10 to 1. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, as always, I'll, I'll post my plays on Saturday. Um, I'm going to watch the way and get a better feel for this card this week. Cause nothing's really jumping off the page. Um, as we sit here this week as like great value, that type of thing. But as, after weigh-ins and Saturday morning, I'll drop my plays as is tradition. And another tradition that we have Cody is for you to hit them with the PRP. Hitting them with the PRP. So, officially, we're going to go with Max Holloway, Ben Rothwell, Felicia Spencer, Julio Arce, dog number one, Tiago Moises, Andrea Lee, dog number two, Miguel Beza, Sean Woodson, Courtney Casey, Mark Casey, and Kenny Njiku as dog number three. So, again, yeah, you know there's a couple dogs that are going to hit on all these cards. It's not like we're going on any of the big ones. It's all about getting the right order. This week, obviously, Max is at the top because he's the best pick, and he just happens to be the main event. And so you can hedge we, if you really want And to. it would be such an easy hedge only mm-hmm. because, not because we think Yair's going to win, but because of that huge plus money associated with him. It just it wouldn't take much, Plus right? 500 to get out and get out unscathed is a pretty easy way to get out. And you don't even yeah, necessarily like, have to hedge for all of your earnings. You could just hedge to, yeah, it's an easy out for sure. Yeah, if you put $100 on him to win 500 bucks, like at the very least, if you knew you were making good money at the end of the night, it, you know, I, I know two weeks ago, everyone's like, oh, yawn. Last week, it's like, oh, I should have let it ride. Like, there's never really that proper way of going about it. It's how you feel. But just you don't go 12 out of 13 on a car. Don't hit seven of your eight plays and, and lose money, right? Like, yeah. you don't want to lose money when you do good. You want to break even, make sure you're breaking even. And the hedge ensures you a little bit of profit. That's always good, too. I didn't hedge. So, yeah, I think the big thing this week is going to be trying to figure out who to put with Max Holloway that you like the most. You know, is, is it a Mark Dia Casey? Does that feel weird? Kind of does to me, but what are your other options? Uh, Bellator, of course, I'm going to try to put a Bellator preview. Um, what, Cyborg doesn't add no value to anything. No. And now it is Cody Law, who's been a cash cow for us as far as Bellator picks go. But, uh, yeah, Tyrell Fortune should win. Aaron Pico should win. Uh, they're setting up Steve Mowry to win quite easily, although he's not the most trustworthy guy going. Bruna Ellen, she's been a, she's shit in the apple pie once before in her career, but she should be able to win. Uh, this Mahmoud Fazi Sebi, he's only 10 to 1. <laughs> Lock, that guy is an absolute animal. And Jordan Newman should win as well. So, oh, the, shit, the odds on Bellator's Bella, got 
The odds yeah, on Bellator right. are insane, though. I know, I know, but keep this in consideration. If you had, if you had a minus two thousand cyborg, right, and you had a uh, Cody Law is also minus mm. two thousand, and Ma- Mahmoud Fazi, you know, the guy's an absolute beast. You know, he he's minus a thousand. You, you don't even need to take Valerie Laredo, who's an absolute just apple pie shitter as well. You throw on Jordan Newman there, and you throw on Max Holloway. It's minus 173, right? You got Cyborg. How did she lose? That's if you're getting that's if you're getting minus two thousand on it. It's minus four thousand at DraftKings Sportsbook. And these lot I mean at other other places that are like market movers, minus thirty three hundred. Um so yeah, so you just add one Aaron Pico on that bitch and you're uh, plus one oh three. What's up? So yeah, Bellator is gonna be good filler this week. Of course, the potential apple pie shitters there are Valerie uh, Valerie at minus five hundred. She could potentially Steve Mowry just because he is a big boy and he's kind of a little bit unorthodox, right? He's a minus six fifty. He could blow it. I could see Arlene Blenko. She's a four to one. Pam Bam Sorensen's junkyard dog. Don't really love the idea of fading her. Tyrell Fortune. I'm going to end up betting him. Although you know anybody who gets punched out by Tim Elliott in the first rounds, not or sorry, not Tim Elliott. <laughs> Tim Johnson. You avoid those ones, you go with the safe ones, and you add a couple UFC picks. We're going to get plus money at the very least. So hopefully tomorrow we've got a Bellator preview out. Friday we got Bellator picks out. Saturday UFC picks out. But then hopefully we can do a little bit of Bellator and UFC mix and match them together because, yeah, Bellator is like, oh, man, we've got 10 fighters who we would like to get a win on their record and 10 fighters who are there to hopefully do that. Whereas the UFC's got 20 fighters they owe a contract to, like a owe a fight to. They don't care who wins or loses. This card here has got very little... You know me, I like my storylines, my narrative. This person should win. Prayer is being set up over Mikaelitis for a knockout. Mikaelitis got four fights, knocked out all four losses, right? Like, those are your storylines. Here, it's mostly tight matchmaking, competitive fights. Uh, I do see a couple upsets here and there, but I want to just keep the exposure maybe a tad bit limited. So all in all, I'm Mr. Optimistic. I think that we'll be able to put the winning combinations together. If we don't, again, don't be giving all your money back. It's all about bankroll management. However, yeah, yeah, this is what we do. And at the very least, I'm here to hit you that top ticket and make sure you're going to break even as your worst case. So if I do my job, hopefully you won't lose any money. If you do your job, you bet it properly. Uh, You're not going to get banged up in a loss and you're going to come out victorious in a win. So Looking forward to my man. Yes, sir. I mean, I, that parlay. So you got Mahmoud, whatever his name, Fauzi, Sebel, yeah. uh, Chris, Christian Justino, Cyborg, uh, yeah. Jordan Newman, Max Holloway, Cody Law, Aaron Pico, and Steve Mowry only pays plus 120. No, yeah, and I would drop Mowry off that. Drop Mowry off say- that. Yeah, I would say if something because I, I got I got all those guys minus Mowry and it's minus yeah, one o- minus one oh nine. Okay, yeah. Depending on the price of depending uh, on the book, of course. Yeah. But at DraftKings Sportsbook, so <laughs> it's just a lot. It's a lot of work to get a minus one oh nine. That's why I don't love. But, I, that's why I loved your parlays last week because you right. know you had Justin Gaethje. I like when I play the parlays. I like to gamble, and yeah, I'm team no hedge. I didn't hedge. On uh, yawn, I didn't hedge this week either. Well, Team go. no That's hedge. I played. It. I played to win the game. But everybody's risk tolerance is different. If you need that, you know. I mean, I would have been hedge if Ally Aquinta had one. I would have been hedging uh, on Colby Covington. Why? Because the amount of money that was going to be won, it would have warranted. Like I would have probably had a heart attack. 
but uh, but he didn't. So, you know, that's well, it's I, all I about say, your personal situation. Yeah. So when people are, yeah, when P- I see people sometimes like reaching out to you, like, oh my god, I can't believe he like shot in the pie or whatever. It's just like, well, you know, it's it, it comes down to your decision, as you always say on Twitter. It comes down to your your decision at the end of the day. I've come to, I used to be a little hard on myself. I'd be like, man, I told people this guy was going to win and he lost. And now some people are upset about it. And I, this is not a shot at you, by the way. I know you might take it that way. Seeing the Buffalo Bills lose on the weekend. Um, was there anybody on the planet that picked Jacksonville? No, probably not, right? Would no. one person, not a Jacksonville resident, have picked Jacksonville? Is that even plausible? How probably the hell they probably in so, Jacksonville. So the yeah. best NFL analysts in the world, these guys get paid, you know, they got these fancy desk jobs and they got a three-piece suit and they're clean cut. They got a makeup person before the show starts. Internet connection doesn't get wonky, causing them to lose resolution. These guys, way off, right? It just happens. It's a football game. Anything can happen. This is a fight. <laughs> this is a fight. Anything can and will happen. So Murphy's Law is, is, is wild and is running. The last little gem I'll leave you with then, if you want to be like Paul, you want to throw a saddle on a pony and get to ride and, then you go with your cyborg law, Sebi, Newman, Pico, UFC, you go Holloway, Rothwell, Moises, Dia Casey. That's hitting you at a six to one. Who wouldn't be happy with the six? There we to go. One, right. Now we're talking. That's that's what I that's what we bring you in for. The six to one parlays. Now I you said it so fast, I'll have to in post I'm gonna look at it and I'm gonna bet <laughs> that. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick and producer Matt, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.